James chapter 1. Let's read real quickly verses 21 through 25. And this is the beginning of our series today. Verse 21. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. Let me pray one more time. Father, in Jesus' name, I just ask you to open up the revelation of this truth today. Over the next couple of weeks, God, help this to be a message, a series full of truth, full of wisdom that changes lives. Help this to raise us up as a people, to be strong in the calling that you've put upon us, to go forth in boldness, and to be able to effectively change not only our lives, but the lives of all the people around us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. So we're, we're getting into this today right here in chapter one where James talks about being a doer, not just a hearer of the word. And I thought this was really an appropriate place to start our message series over the next couple of weeks where we'll be addressing so many of the just head-on topics and subjects that James talks about that pertain to each and every one of our lives that are subject matters that we face pretty much on a day-in and day-out basis and how the Bible really encourages us and, and tells us to, to walk in things like anger and pride and humility and greed. There's so many things that James just one after another after another in these five chapters of his book addresses in such a powerful way, doesn't pack any punches, gets right to the point, and gives you great clarity and specifics about how, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, we're to walk these things out. But before we get into each of these points along the way over the next couple of weeks, I wanted to begin by looking at these few verses in chapter 1 where James talks about being a doer of the word, not just a hearer. Because in my opinion, it's in these few verses that we actually found, find kind of the beginning points, the, the principle that he builds the rest of his message in his letter upon because James is you got to understand a few things as I open this up about the, the author and about the context of time and things that are going on here first of all James you guys know he was the half-brother of Jesus right half-brother because they had the same mother from a different father kind of thing anyway so Jesus and James were brothers. So think about that for a second. Growing up all those years, and then all of a sudden at about 30 years old, your brother comes to you and said, hey, here's the deal, dude. I'm, the, I'm like the son of God, like the Messiah that we've been reading and studying about for years. I'm actually that guy. <laughs> gotcha, you know. And as, as James and the rest of Jesus' siblings, how would that even feel? Like how would, you, how would you handle that, you know? 
I mean, I'm sure they were wrestling with it. The Bible says that at first they rejected that. They didn't believe that. But then they went on to eventually believe that Jesus was who he said that he was. In fact, James not only believed, but he eventually became one of the leaders, the leader in the church in Jerusalem, which is what he was serving in at the time that he's writing this letter. And that's important because in Jerusalem was actually when the persecution was happening to the Christians after Jesus was gone, the, the, the church in Jerusalem was like at the heart of all of the violence and all of the attacks that were going on. Now, mind you, it was happening all across the land, but right in the church in Jerusalem was at the heart of the matter. And James, in the beginning of this letter, he says, I'm writing this to all of you who are scattered abroad. He's writing because all of the people are under great persecution. There's great difficulty, they're being killed, they're being hunted down for their faith. It is a time of total chaos, total upheaval, and Christianity as they know it at this time is being persecuted in great and high traffic ways. And James is the, is the leader of this church. They, he's known as James the Just in the years to come because of his ability to walk out, not just teach, but to walk out a path and a life of righteousness and uprightness during a time when it was so hard to do that that many people were turning away from their faith. Now, another thing that's going on in the context of the situation here is the, the church has had a little bit of time to begin to spread. So we know that there's churches in places like Ephesus. There's churches in places like Corinth. They've, they've started to develop, right? Like little campuses, almost kind of like what we're in. They went out. They got started. They had a leader there, and they're starting to attract people. They're building up a community. But what's going on is that it, there's been enough time not only for the church to get some momentum, but there's been enough time for the church to start uh Certain people within that church to start swaying in different directions and now there's a lot of false doctrine there's a lot of fake Christianity there's a lot of things that are being taught that are not a true representation of what Christ died for the people to be able to have and so because of that there's a lot of confusion there's a lot of people that think they understand now who Jesus was, but in reality they have no idea because they've been fed a false bill of goods. They've got a misrepresentation of who Jesus was, not because they studied it, but because they heard it from somebody else who's giving that representation falsely or inaccurately. And look, folks, this is what is on my heart today to tell you is that we are not so much in such a different time today than what they were in at this hour and in this moment here. Today, Christianity is being invaded upon, it's being persecuted, it's being attacked on every front. I don't want to bore you with all the details, but I think if you look at the news, you understand what's going on in the political scene, you understand what's happening in government, you understand what's happening with marriages, you understand what's happening in the schools. Christianity is being attacked and persecuted on all fronts. Now, thank God none of us are being sought out and killed right now. I'm not saying that day isn't coming at some point, but in this case, in this situation, they were facing something so difficult for their faith that's not so much different than what we're seeing today. And James feels that it's incredibly necessary and incredibly important at this moment and this hour and time that they're in to make a call to the church, to make a call to the believers, to make a call to those who are moving forward to spread the word, to say, listen, we have got to stand up and we've got to do, not just talk about, 
what this faith is all about that we're proclaiming to people. We've got to become authentic, genuine representations of the message that we're preaching. And we've got to come against all of this false doctrine and these false bill of goods that people are being fed out there. Listen, it drives me absolutely crazy. Like, there's people out there that are lost, that don't know God, and they're just bound up in sin. Evil has a hold of them. It's happening. And, and I'm trying with everything I know to do to figure out ways to empower others and to do myself to reach those people. But what really drives me crazy is when people are against and turned off by the church and by God because someone in the name of Christianity has hurt them, has wounded them, or has misrepresented what the convictions of our faith are really all about. I can't stand that. But it happens, and it's, it's, it's always been there. It was there in James's time, and it's there today. And that is something that we have to say, listen, I'm going to examine my life and myself and choose to walk out, not just talk about, but walk the walk of this faith, not just say I am, so that I can do my part in being an accurate representation of what Christ died for the life for me to live. Now, listen, you've got to understand and make the distinction here that I'm not saying that when I say walk the walk, that any of us are going to go out there and live our lives perfectly and make every right decision every day. That is not going to happen. But what I am saying is that we are moving in a path and a concerted effort in our life to do the will of God and to be who Jesus has called us to be at all times and in any way we can, willing to yield to whatever he wants us to do in such a way that our life, when people look at it, they see what Christianity really is. They get the real thing, not a fake thing. You know, they say uh, the, the, the folks that look at the, the counterfeit bills, the counterfeit money, they, you know how they find out? Because counterfeit stuff is so close to the, to the real stuff that it takes an expert to be able to detect the differences in these things. And the way that someone becomes an expert at that is not by examining counterfeit bills all the time, it's actually by being around the real thing so often and studying it under microscope, touch, feel, everything, that an expert can detect a phony like that. It doesn't take any time for an expert to look at a phony bill and within a matter of seconds or minutes be able to tell you this is a fake. Why? Because they've been around the real thing enough to where whenever there's an imposter, it immediately stands out and screams phony and fake. And that's great for you and I as we're growing as mature Christians because if we get a taste of God, if we really study his word and his truth becomes a part of us, then we have that, cop, that, that real thing to go off of. It's just like I could, you could go into a, a place of worship that's not worshiping God or Jesus for who he is, and you'll immediately know that the presence of God is not there because you've been around the presence of God, right? You've felt it. You've seen it. You know who Jesus is. That's great for us. But listen, for the people who are lost, who have never experienced the real thing, when a fake and an imposter and a phony comes along and is misrepresented, what happens is they think they got the real thing, and if it ain't the real thing, there's nothing good and attractional and empowering or supernatural about it at all, and they don't get it, but they think they did, and they move on, and there's no hunger or no desire, or even worse, they're turned off by it now. 
Does that make sense? We go to Jay Fires over here for lunch a lot on Sundays after service. Awesome place to go. They've got this bread pudding. I think I've talked about that before in a message, actually. They've got this bread pudding that's unbelievable. Like, I'm not a big dessert guy, but there's a couple of things when I go, I'm just not going to pass on it. And that's one of them. This bread pudding, it's made from scratch. Jen, she's just got this recipe that's unreal. And I, every time we go, I'm always like, you got to get the bread pudding. I tell everybody, you got to get the bread pudding. And when they try it, they're hooked. That's it. They got it. They, everybody is like, oh, my gosh. You know, they order another one. Or anytime we go back, they're getting it. They're talking to somebody else about it. It's phenomenal. I encourage you. Go. Check it out. Now, if we went one day, or I told you to go and get the bread pudding, and I didn't realize it, but let's just say that Jen was out of the ingredients for that. And she had to go run down to the store and buy some bread pudding that was the fake stuff and bring it and serve it. And then you tasted it and you ate it, you'd be like, it's all right. I mean, it's nothing to write home about. You know, I'm not going to go back and get just for the bread pudding anymore because you didn't taste the real thing. You got a fake, you got a phony, and there wasn't what I see in the real stuff, the, the power, right, the good stuff. You didn't get a chance to taste that for yourself. Now, there's nothing to really draw you back, but worse than that, you just go on from now on thinking you had the real thing and you have no interest in going back to have it again. Certainly not going to pay for it, certainly not going to sacrifice for it, certainly not going to get in uncomfortable or have any inconveniences to get yourself to it. Does that make sense? I mean, the real thing, a life with Jesus, grace and faith empowering, living uprightly because God deserves that. Not judging others, right? And being bold for our faith. This real Christianity is the only hope that we have in our land whatsoever to see God do something marvelous in our midst. Nothing else will do it because everything else rests under heaven, under the foot of God. He has authority over all things. It's only a work of him that's actually going to change and transform lives, society, and a nation. Nothing else will do. And we have got to say as, as, a, as the church, we have got to make sure that we are being doers of this word, that we are living the life that Christ died for us to have, not just talking about it, not just proclaiming it, because let's be honest, folks, let's be honest. If any one of us got a false taste of church and we were hurt or we were wounded or we were giving false, given false doctrine, any of those things, why would you want it? I wouldn't. Why would you want to go back to that? Why would you want to pursue something like that? Why would you feel that that was needed to be the most important thing that you made as a decision in your life for you and your family when there was no power in it and there was no Jesus in it? I don't know how anyone would. So I can't, I can't blame the people in our world that feel that way. And it's interesting because as Amy was talking about days where social media is out there, I mean, most people that I have found in our community here in Waterloo and in the broader community most people think they know about God. Most people think they have an understanding of what God, of what the church, and of what Christianity is. It's just the facts. That's because somewhere along the line, they heard something, they saw something, they went somewhere, they read something, fill in the blank. They think they have an understanding about God. 
But the more you dig and the more you talk, if you're privileged to have that kind of reaction relationship, the more that you find that the majority of people have really never been exposed to authentic, genuine Christianity. That's my opinion. And you find that as you see, and then you, and then you say, oh, well, no, no wonder. I, no wonder you don't want that. No, I, don't, I wouldn't want that either. I wouldn't want to go there every week. I wouldn't want to dedicate my family to that. I got too many things going on. My life is filled. I, I don't have time for humanism. I don't have time for false things. I want the real thing. And James is saying, he's saying, listen, leaders of the church, we're being attacked on all fronts. There's tons of false doctrine. There's people misrepresenting you. Right in your own church, it's actually happening there. Misrepresenting you, doing things in the name of Christianity that are not Christianity. And we have got to first look at ourselves and make sure we are walking the walk and doing what this word talks about before we're going to be able to deal with the larger issues that are at hand. If we're not first lined up properly, then we're not going to be able to deal with any of the more complex and difficult situations that pertain to life. And so he says in this passage, he says, first of all, in verse 22, let's go there. He says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You know, Nike has made a fortune off of their slogan, right? Their, their tagline. What is it? Just do it. Just do it. And people love that. Why do they love that? I'll give you my dissertation on that. I think they love that because athletes at the time that Nike was doing that, I'm not saying they didn't do this before, but for some reason the, the, the talk and the chatter and the me, 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 I'm awesome, I'm great, just started to become kind of a widespread thing across mega athletes and mega stars, right? It was like all of a sudden it, it, they're just talking about how great they were all the time. And Nike introduces this theme. It says just do it. Stop talking about it. Nobody cares what you're talking about. Blah, 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 blah. People want to see the reality. They want to see the action. They want to see the true representation of what it's all about. And that's going to be on the field, right? And see, when people aren't ready to hear the message of God, I'm not saying we don't speak the message to people, but when they're not ready to hear it, which I have found is one of the most important parts of witnessing to somebody, is that there has to be a desire on their end to receive. And if they are not, it, it, it's almost never successful in that moment of time when you're trying to witness to someone. But if they're ready, but if they're not, and they're not interested in hearing the message, then anything you do to speak or try to push with your words it's just going to damage and it's just going to push away. That's why having the walk, the doing, is so critical. Because when people aren't ready to hear, they need to still be able to see. Yeah. 
They need to see it in your life because there's something attractional and there's something powerful. That's why Jesus said, live this way, live abundantly. It wasn't just speak because there's something evident, not only in the words, but also in the actions in the life that people can see that will draw them in, that potentially will open them up to the message that they need to hear. And we have got to make sure that we're living and walking accordingly. He says, be doers of the word, not just hearers only, lest you deceive yourselves. Holy cow. You mean to tell me, pastor, that if I hear the word, but I don't do it, that I am deceived? That's exactly what I'm saying. Now, at some point along the line, people can hear the word and it can kind of tickle their ear. It can kind of make them feel good. It can kind of get something surface level out of it. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. That's the emotional part of the person. The spiritual part of the person is affected when the word gets in and then it transforms into a changed life that begins to play out into deeds and actions into a life that's lived according to what they heard. And he's saying, listen, if you're, if you're saying these, if you're listening, but you're not doing, somewhere along the line, you got deceived. You think you heard it, but you didn't really hear it. You think you're doing it, but you're not. Because most people don't walk around saying, I'm just not doing what I'm talking about. I'm just not living the way I'm saying. They think that they are. But they're not because they've been deceived. And they've been deceived because the word has not actually, what we'll get to in a minute, as he says in the previous verse, become implanted. They've become hearers, but they've actually not become doers because the part of the implanting of the word has not actually taken effect. But before I get to that, let me say this, <clears throat> that I found that deceived people deceive people. When we ourselves are caught into deception, then our whole reality is formed upon that deception. And then we communicate and project out of that deception. And all that that does is create more deception. That's a powerful thing because what it, what it really needs to do is it needs to say to us, it needs to say, okay, I need to make sure that this word is getting in me. And I need to make sure that my life is becoming a representation of the word of God, that there's, there's fruit and there's deeds, there's actions that are coming out of my life that are in, in alignment with what this word says. If I'm ever to open it up and take a close look, I'll find that the things I'm reading are happening here in my life. Doers, and he says too, he says, be doers of the word. He doesn't just say do. He says, be doers. He's actually characterizing their personality by that. He's not saying go out and just do good things. He's saying be a doer, where your life, your character, your person is overcome with the actual doing of, flowing out of you, the things that line up with what the Word of God says once it's become implanted in you. And you know, that's what happens when the word gets implanted. See, planted things grow. 
They change things. They disturb things. They move in the soil. Everything changes. It all changes. And when the word of God gets implanted in you, you know, another word for that, if you studied it in the Greek, is engrafted. It becomes a part of you. Like literally you couldn't peel it away and sever it and have a clean line. And if you pulled it out, there'd be some of the old and some of the new there. It's powerful. The word gets implanted in us like that when we receive it the way James says, with meekness and humility. What does that mean? That means in any given moment, at any given time, we have the posture that I need the word of God because I am not perfect. I have to receive what the word of God says so that it can get in me and it can change me. And once it's planted, it grows and it continues to rise up out of us. And then the things that we, we hear about in the word, we begin to see happening in our lives because the word of truth that's been planted is growing. It's changing us. It's changing our thoughts. It's changing our actions. It's changing our behavior. It's changing us because it's growing up inside of us. We don't do that part. Do you get that? I mean, we read the word. We receive it. We, we nurture it. But God is growing that thing in us, and the fruit, the deeds, the actions that he's talking about are happening in our lives. It's like when, when John in uh, chapter 15, when Jesus is talking about abiding in the vine, the branch is connected to the vine, right, which is God, which is the Jesus, which is the word. And, and the branches, they bear fruit, but they bear fruit because their focus is to absorb and draw from the nutrients of the vine, of the plant. And if they'll successfully keep doing that, they'll successfully keep bearing fruit. Now, if you have a little bit of fruit on a branch and you break the branch off and it's not connected to the vine anymore, what's happening to the fruit? It immediately begins to die. And so when the word is becoming implanted in us and it's growing up in us, then our lives will become more and more of an authentic representation in word and in deed of what Jesus died for us to have and of what James is pleading with the leaders of the church, they've got to get right. He says it's got to become implanted. You've got to become doers, not hearers only, doers characterizing their person. Now, he also likens this example. I love this part. He likens this example to a mirror, looking into a mirror. And he says a person that hears but doesn't do is like a person that looks in the mirror and sees themselves and then walks away and forgets what they saw. Now, I would venture to say everybody in here has a mirror in their house, do you not? Yeah. What's interesting about that mirror? It always tells the truth, does it not? You look into a mirror, you don't see what you want to see, you see what actually is. You see what is, and you see the improvements that you want to make. You see the changes that need to be made. The mirror gives you the ability to have a clear picture of really exactly where you are. And James says that the word of God is like a mirror. So as we open up this word, and as we study the words in Scripture from God himself inspired to man that we are really looking at that, and if we are meek in meekness about it, that it's like a mirror looking back at ourselves 
showing us exactly where we are, exactly the things that we need to change, exactly the things that God still needs to do a work in us for. But he says that people can look in the mirror and they can walk away and make no change and do nothing about it. So we open the word, we hear it, but unless, until it actually becomes implanted in us, and then we start walking it out, and our lives are conducted by and characterized by the doing of those things, then it's really like we've looked into a mirror and saw all these things we wanted to change and then just walked away and didn't do anything about it. Now, how many people know, if you look in the mirror and you got a big stain on your shirt, you need to change, or you look in the mirror and, you know, your, your hair is a mess. I can't imagine if I took all the mirrors out of my house how that would be. Wow, especially in about five or ten years, you know. But anyway, if you looked in the mirror, let's say my fly is down and I see, you know, I don't do anything about it. Guess what? It's only a matter of time before you're finally going to, somebody's going to help you see that you messed up. Somebody's going to help you see you didn't make the improvements, right? You're going to get in there, oh, and you're going to be, oh, yeah, I forgot to do that. Or, you know, I didn't do that. And, and as we read the word and we try to live like we're walking with God, we try to do these things, but it's not really a part of us, then ultimately there's going to be a conflict. There's going to be a disconnect with what we, we know or what we think or what we're, project, we're trying to say we live by and what's actually happening, and people eventually will come to see those things. Now, it's good because we can always turn back to God and we can always have him fix us and make us right and get us on track, but in the moment of time where you needed to have that thing corrected, if you didn't do it and you walked away without doing it, once somebody helps you see it, it's too late for that moment right there. It's done. Now you're going to have to fix it for another moment ahead. But we may find ourselves in times and in places where we, we have opened the word or we've heard the word and we haven't really done the things we need to do in order to actually walk the thing out. And then it's going to just be like a ripple. It's going to be like it's going to unravel on us in our lives the further we get out there and we're not living according to the things that we claim to hold so dear. I love the example of the mirror. And then he says also, when you, when you think about this, when you look in a mirror, some changes take time. Some changes aren't like you just change your shirt and it's instantaneous. Like, you know, I, I don't, when I look in the, I mean, I look in the mirror and I kind of check out the tricep that's coming in, you know, the trap and a few things. But there's, <laughs> my wife can confess to that. But there's things that I look at and I'm like, ah. Oh, I got to tighten that up a little bit, you know. Yeah, I got to do a little work here. I got to do a little work there. Uh, I don't know what I can do about the hairline that's receding a little bit there. But, you know, cer certain things are going to take time to change. They're not going to, and you're going to have to kind of check again, kind of revisit the mirror, kind of go back. Okay, let's see what kind of progress I've made. Okay, I've been working on it. And see, the Word of God, when, when it gets in you, it begins the change. When it gets in there and it's planted, it starts growing, it starts the changing process, whatever area of your life that it applies to. But, but there's a lot of things that are more of a process, and too many people just kind of want to bypass this, or they want to just circumvent that, the process part of it. And you've got to continue to walk the things out the best way you can, leaning on God, but kind of coming back to the Word regularly all the time, so you're kind of checking on where you are a little bit. You know, you're kind of measuring where you're at, how far you've come, and where you still have to go. 
And that's why the mirror, the word of God, is something that should be a part of, of every day of our lives. Because it sets the direction, it sets the rudder for where we're headed and, the, and where we're really at. It's like looking into a mirror. It shows you exactly where you are. Only God can peer into the heart of a man. We can't even see it in ourselves as clearly as he can. That's why the word is so critical. That's why it's got to become a part of us and become engrafted in us so that we don't trust in ourselves, but we're turning over that authority and that vision and that wisdom to God to be able to lead us and direct us so that our lives and our actions are really a true, authentic, genuine representation of what Christ died for us to have. And then he says, as they walk that out, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. He'll be blessed in what he does. And I just kind of read over that a few times, and then all of a sudden I read it, and it hit me. It's like, wait a minute. We all want to be blessed. We all want our work and our, the things that we do, the way we love, the way we, our relationships. We want all of those things blessed. I do. And he's saying that in all of the things that we do, if we're doing them in such a way that's flowing out of the word that's already in us, that it's in that where the power and where the blessing comes. That God blesses what is in alignment with his word. And so if the word is in us and then, we're, and then it's growing up and we're, man, I'm going to make some changes here. I'm going to do something. I'm going to do this differently. And, and we're beginning to move forward in that. Changes and direction that's sparked and spurred by the growing word inside of us. That as we move down that track and down that path, our efforts and the things that we're doing, they are blessed. Do you get that? Such a power. Are you guys doing okay today? I'm looking at some like strange faces right now. I'm sweating and I'm into this, but I don't know. Hopefully you guys are enjoying this as much as I am. So, listen. Where does that leave us today? We're going to get into some of these other things that James addresses and talks about. I just, it was incredibly important to begin and start by saying, listen, all of the stuff that we're going to talk about, not only in the next couple of weeks, but from here on out, if it's just words, if you're just hearing things and it's not becoming a part of you and it's not changing you and growing in you and you're doing differently according to what that word is changing in you. He's saying that, that, that you're deceived, you know. We've got to look at all these things and say, how do we address anger? How do we address pride? How do we address greed? How do we address things that are happening in our society today? We've got to be moving. If we're going to get to that point, we've got to first be moving from a place of solid rock foundation that is anchored on what the word of God says and, and how it's been put in us and become a part of us so that as we move forth in those areas and in those things that pertain to our life, there's blessing in it, there's power in it, and there's favor on it. And it's according to the truth in the word of God. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet today.